Hello and welcome back to the Let's Go Joe podcast. Today I have uh, a special guest, my young boy. I'm going to call him my young boy because I know he doesn't hear that because of his size. His name is Devin Steele. Uh, please do me a favor introduce yourself, Devin. Well, I think you just did a good job of introducing myself. Um, I'm your young boy. My name is Devin Steele from Wilmington, Delaware. Uh, played at Penn State. Played in the NFL for four years, three years with the Bengals, one year with the Texans. So I'm going to start this with a funny story, right? So y'all just heard him talk about all the places he played. I'm gonna take him down memory lane, see if he remembers this. 2003, no, I met you, I think 2001 or 2002. I don't remember right now. No, 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 I met you, I met you when, by the time you was in high school, right? I got in high school 2003. Oh, that's, okay, so I, I'm right, so 2003, uh, we, me and Devin played together, and in 2003, uh, we played against Hotson. I'm gonna walk. I'm gonna walk this story down. To make sure you remember it. Make sure you remember. It. So we played Hudson, and uh, at the time I was a senior. You were a freshman. Oh, it was a freshman. It was a freshman. Okay, so y'all, yeah, keep that in talking. mind. Nah, nah. Not, we can't keep that in mind. In my life. We can't keep that in mind because at one time I was a freshman and I was never asked to do this. But he was a freshman, and at the time uh, we were coming off of making it to the state championship and losing, and we had a lot of players who left. You feel me so far? You follow me? So uh, our defensive coordinator, up excuses, but go ahead. Our, our defensive coordinator at the time uh, asked Devin because he was getting blown up so bad, like it was, it was bad. You agree with that? I agree. That they was like, yo, just bear crawl. I, so, I don't know if it was me. I think it was the rest of the defensive line, but we're all one team, so we all had to do it together. But continue on. Right, but I specifically remember him saying, "Hey, Devin, just bear crawl, so Joe can get tackles, like, so right. we can actually stop him." Right. So they asked him to just bear crawl, like legitimately get on all fours and just bear crawl so they couldn't even block him, so he could be low enough that like he didn't even have to worry about anything. Yeah. But nevertheless, it still adds to your story because you ended up making it to Penn State and then to the NFL. So it's a funny story, but at the same time. I mean, I think it says a lot about the defensive coordinator, for real, for real, because I think that he was jealous <laughs> and he was trying to keep my stats down. <laughs> Because he knew I was going to turn out to be better than him. He didn't like me, which is cool because, you know, I still did what I needed to do and made it to the NFL, so. Hey, that's how you want to spend it. I mean, but, I took it. So, my first question to you is, have you uh, done any speaking about, like, uh, college? Because, I mean, you know, I mean, we pretty much know what people outside looking in kind of met you by. I don't want right. to say know you for it because you, you're known for a lot of things at this point. But yeah. I know how people initially met you was through, you know, Leah. I mean, but I, have you, now, I never really went into detail about my own personal journey to the NFL because, of course, you know, what Leah went through with her being diagnosed with cancer, that's when I really hit the international stage with and everybody had a chance to get me know, to get to know me from that standpoint. But I never really went into detail about my experience to the NFL. So, and it's good because I'm, I definitely want to start with something that I know a lot of people wouldn't know, because they know you from injuries from college. Right. But I've known you long enough to, to know that your injury started while, I mean, way before college. And if you want to speak on your first injury and what made you still push through after that injury, because some people get an injury in high school and you never hear from them again. Yeah. Some people get an injury in high school and their dreams die with the injury. Yeah. So just speaking on your first injury that you've occurred and, and what made you still press on to become All-American and get to Penn State. 
Yeah, so the first major injury I had was in ninth grade. Um, I broke my leg playing basketball. I was going up for a dunk. And there was this, like, sweaty guy who was, uh, who was he was in front of the, the, the layup line ahead of me, Leon, who went to dunk the ball and left all the sweat on the ground. Leon. So then when I went to go run up and do my dunk, I don't know what happened, but I tried to take off with my left leg, and I woke up on the ground. And when I woke up, uh, my leg was broken. It was swollen like the size of a, a basketball. And I ended up getting rushed to the hospital where I had to have an emergency surgery the next day where they put a screw in my leg. Um, and I had to start the rehab process. What was really crazy about that surgery that I got done is when I woke up from the surgery, um, I looked at the cast. They had a cast on me that was from my hip down to my toes. And when I woke up, the doctor had wrote a note on my cast, and it was, I believe it said, you're going to be somebody when you get older. So me going through a tough injury like that and then waking up with that message from somebody I never even knew before, um, it gave me that spark that I needed because I, I was in a tough spot mentally because the injury was so bad, I didn't think that I would be able to get back to playing sports, and sports is something I love to do. So getting back out there it was definitely tough. I had a lot of bad days, a lot of bad nights where I just cried, you know, asking God why this had to happen to me. But I mean, the one thing that you learn from playing sports is injuries are going to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't learn how to overcome those injuries, then you'll never be able to make your dreams come true as far as making it to the pros playing football. So I just did what I needed to do within those eight months and was able to get back to playing sports. So what made you, what, what made you, what, what, when did the realization for D1 come. I remember having a conversation with you years ago, and you might not even recall this conversation about wanting to stay locally. Yeah. I don't know if you remember me. Nah, I, always, I always wanted to stay local because I never saw anybody who did anything bigger than that. So D1 didn't come to mind until probably my junior year when I got my first scholarship um, from Marshall. And then that let me know that this was real, uh, that I, could re I really had a chance to go to the next level playing football because I always wanted to play basketball. But I wasn't that gifted to be able to go and play D1 or D2 or D3. I, I just like playing basketball. But when I got my first letter from Marshall, um, scholarship letter, I was like, yo, this is really possible. If I really put my focus on football, then who knows what this can turn into. So after my junior, or going into my junior, that's when I decided to focus solely on uh, football. So why Penn State? You know, Because I know at one point, at the height of your senior year, uh, I, I want to say, Charlie was calling me saying, y'all, yo, Devin got offers to Ohio State. Yeah. He got, I think it was Miami. I mean, like, they was they was coming in. So what made you? disrespectful, too. <laughs> Why am I Miami? You know what I mean? Because I don't, I, did, I never heard of the Miami this, story. This is, this I just know Charlie even, said he wasn't going to go there. This is not even Miami at its height. But Miami always had that prestigious name. Like, yeah. when you grew up wanting to play football, like, you wanted to go to the U. So, I had, my senior year, I had, like, over 50 D1 scholarships. And Miami, uh, the defensive line coach from Miami came to Howard to visit me. And he walked into the office. He was like, listen, we like you. You can come to Miami or you don't have to. But we just want to let you know that we wanted to offer you. That was a selfish. Yeah, and I'm like, bro, you are not the Miami that you used to be. You're not about to come in here where everybody, Coach Trestle was bringing me pizza to my job at finish line. Uh, coaches from Penn State bring me pizza. Like, they at war trying to get me. Right. And you come in here real nonchalant. Like, if you want to come here, you can come here. If not, it's not. It's like, you're not the you. So right off the bat, y'all was scratched. 
I should have took my official visit there because I know it would have been yeah, fun, fun, but he yeah. just turned me off from the way that he approached me in that manner. So what made you pick uh, Penn State? Like, what what was the driving factor to to go to? Was it? Yeah. It's the nickname PSU. Yeah, Penn State. So PSU. At, at first, I was going to go to Ohio State. Um, I had knocked it down to Ohio State, Penn State, or, or Michigan. Um, I went to an official visit out in Michigan and to walk out into the horseshoe and see 110,000 fans like screaming, going crazy. And this one, OSU, they still are, but they was at the top of the game um, that year. To go out there and experience that, I was just like, yo, this is crazy. Because I, how, I don't know how many people we had in stands, but it wasn't nowhere close to that. I had never been to a college game like that before. So I remember leaving um, my official visit and I told my dad that this is the school I'm going to go to. And he was like, that's cool, but you promised Penn State that you would go take a visit there. So just be a man of your word and take your official visit to Penn State. And I was like, all right, but I'm still going to Ohio State. Mm -hmm. But I ended up taking that visit there and I met Coach Paterno for a second time because he came to Howard uh, one time to come see me and see the school. but. Just to hear the way that he talked, um, to be around Larry Johnson, who of course is at Ohio State right now, but the amount of defensive linemen he put into the NFL, it was like my ultimate goal is to get to the NFL. And this man has had a track record of putting more people in the NFL than any other coach. Why wouldn't I go to a school like this? And then it was only three hours away. I think one of the reasons that I used to play so hard in sports is that my parents was at every single game that I had. Even though they was divorced, they've been divorced since I was three years old. But every game I had, I would be able to look into the stands and see them cheering us on. So I was just like, I want to be able to have that same feeling in college. My parents is not going to make the eight-hour drive to Ohio State um, every Saturday to watch me play, but they can make that three-hour drive. So with Coach Paterno being there, Larry Johnson, and it only being three hours away, I was like, it's no, it's a no-brainer to go to Penn State. So talk about your freshman year because I remember. Uh, another phone call I got from Charlie saying it was ironic, not funny, but ironic that you got injured your yeah. freshman year, I think it was. Yeah. What happened? So I had a chance to start or be in a rotation as a true freshman um, because when I first got to campus, I was just killing it. Uh, and I attribute that to just how we played in high school. I think what separated me from a lot of people is that as an offensive defensive lineman, I hung around all skilled players, right? So when we would go train, I would have to learn how to keep up with them to be stronger, well, not stronger, quicker and faster, um, which helped me a lot with my footwork and it pushed me. So when I got to Penn State, it was just, it was easy for me when I first got there to just jump right in and just play ball. And during training camp, um, one practice, it was like 20 minutes left in practice and my coach told me to go back in there and I remember they was running the screen this play where the uh, running back was running down the right side of the field. And I'm trying to put good stuff on tape. So I'm playing right defensive end, and I start just hauling ass down the field uh, to try to catch up to the running back. And I didn't know that there was an offensive lineman behind me chasing after me too. And he grabbed, <laughs> he grabbed my shoulder. No rookie? Nah, he was – he was like two years older than me. I'll never forget his name. His name is Ross, I believe. I don't forget people who be injuring me. But he grabbed my shoulder, and my foot got stuck in the turf, and my knee twisted. And I ended up tearing my ACL and my MCL. And then I had to get surgery after that. And I was crushed because I was done for the year. I remember after that practice, 
I went in to watch film with the team, even though I was messed up. And this is this this practice, I had broke through the offensive line, and I hit my roommate. He was a running back, and I like smashed him the same way I did Trent Richardson my um, my senior year. I remember that. Yeah. So when they replayed that in the in the meeting room, I remember my coach just paused the film, and he took his water bottle and he just threw it up against the wall, and he was pissed. And I, when, I, when I saw that, I just started crying because I'm like, damn, like, he really messed up that I got hurt. I messed up because I had a chance to play as a true freshman. Um, but like I said, I was done for that entire year, and it was, it was tough because I would watch all my teammates, everybody that I came into college with, living out their dreams. They're playing, whether it be on the practice squad or some of them played as a true freshman. They just looked like they were having fun while I was stuck in rehab for a whole year, but I did what I needed to do. I got back out on the football field, um, but that training camp, I ended up getting hurt again. Our last scrimmage before the season started, uh, one of my teammates, it was a, a defensive back that they was trying out as uh, a wide receiver. So in this play, for some reason, he's playing wide receiver. He picks up the cornerback on a run play and literally just toss him into the pile. And I was holding up my um, the offensive guard, and I felt somebody just fly into my leg, and he snapped my leg in half, and I was out for another year again. So same I had leg. a battle. Yeah, same leg. I had a, even from high school, everything was on my left side. I broke my leg twice, um, playing football and playing basketball. But yeah, I was out for another year that I had to rehab and try to make it back out on the football field. So the world is a lot smaller now, like especially with Instagram. I mean, the world is big, but the world is a lot smaller now. So coming from Delaware, right, because I hear this so much, and I don't believe it, but I'm going to see what your opinion is on it. Coming from Delaware, where, like, you, you were one of the pioneers, Orion Harris, Kwame, like, a couple of people, Jeff Ota, actually making it to where everybody here back home wanted to make it. How is the talent level, like, from a real perspective, like, it, are they that much better than people from Delaware, or are we just that much not prepared due to – and there's no shade against anybody coaching. I think people do the best they can by having coaches who may have played two years before and yeah. coming because they probably bored sitting in the house and yeah. they think that they can coach. I'm just being honest because people ask me to coach and I tried it and I didn't like it. Yeah. And it wasn't had nothing to do with the talent. It's just like me, when I was playing, it was like my desire to be great can't be better than yours if you're playing right now. So it was easy for me to walk away. Yeah. But then you have people who really not trying, no shade to anybody, not that great. They stick around yeah. and end up being coaches. So I think a lot of that is like lack of knowledge. Like if you never played, if you never played Division One football, you really can't prepare me to play Division One football. No. So is the talent that much different when you get outside of Delaware and you playing in these big schools? See, I, I might be biased with this because the people I played at Howard was dogs. So they was like all talented, and uh, I, I didn't know what a D one player was because I didn't watch football growing up. I didn't watch uh, college football growing up. I didn't really go on that many visits to schools. But the one thing that shocked me when I got to Penn State, and I remember calling them, I was like, yo, y'all should be here. There ain't no way that y'all shouldn't be here. And I know that more could have been done is when it, when it came to pushing players. But there was no way that all the guys that I played with, the core people, that I hung around shouldn't have been playing D1 football because the guys that was on the Penn State team, sometimes I looked at them like, what are you doing here? Yeah. Like when I watched them playing, it's like, what, who do you know? 
got you on this team because there's no way that you should be playing D1 football. So I, I, don't, I don't think that talent, that people outside of Delaware have more talent. I know that football is a little bit different right now. Um, but no, I think it's really just about exposure and then putting yourself out there, marketing yourself, going to the different combines and stuff to let people see you and see what you're capable of doing. But it's definitely, it's exposure. It's, it's not talent. Do you ever sit back and think like all the things you made it from? Because even out, so you're talking about an injury in high school, freshman year, right? Still yeah. making it to Penn State. Two injuries, correct? Yeah. Career ending, not career ending, uh, season ending injuries at Penn State. Early so on. Early on. Yeah. It still happened. And then on top of that, one that I know I couldn't have been able to do because I just had my first child. Yeah. Even having a child, how did you manage, like mentally? We can get to the physical part next, but how did you man manage physically, mentally with all that going on? Before we even get to that part, because the, the ACL, the MCL was documented. It was out there about what happened to me. The broken leg my sophomore year was out there. But there's a lot of stuff that I hid when I was at Penn State because I was getting closer to the draft, and I didn't want the teams to find out and lower my stock value. Um, but my senior year, is when things really took off for me. One of my best games was against Alabama, but what people don't know is I blew out my back. I herniated a disc against Alabama. I don't know if it was from hitting Trent the first time or the second time, but I messed up my back really bad. And I tried to hide it again because it's my senior year. I didn't. I wanted to be able to play that full year so that I can increase my, my draft stock. Um, so I was going through that year, and then I tore a rotator cuff, my left rotator cuff which I wasn't able to work out for half the year with my left arm. I would only go to the gym and work out with my legs and my right arm. And then um, one game against Ohio State, as we were going through warm-ups, and this is after Joe Paterno had got fired, um, I blew out my back again in warm-ups. And when I went to the back in the locker room, I told the coaches, I was like, yo, I don't think I can go. Like, I can't even move right now. And they kept telling me that we need you to play um, and I was like, you know what, we're going through this crazy time at Penn State. Maybe I got to go back out there as a captain and really play in this game because we need this. Um, so I let them shoot me up. They gave me a shot in my back, and it completely numbed everything. Like I felt like I would, could walk on the moon. <laughs> I didn't feel <laughs> I thought that was just a thing. That's nah, really I don't know. That was the first time I ever experienced wow. that. They put a shot in my back. I don't even know what they put in my back. I ain't asked no questions. Yeah, not, because, not because it. It's crazy the way that they they basically program in sports, right? They feel like they make you feel like if you don't go out there, you let the team down, like you're being soft, but you're really just protecting yourself. But at that age, you don't really know. So they shot me up with whatever they did. I finished playing the game, but I wasn't able to practice the rest of the year. Um, and then we got, even though we had a good record as a team. They try to give us to a, a crazy bowl because of what was going on with the Sandusky scandal. Mm -hmm. And the team wanted to boycott that bowl game. But I decided that we was going to go down there and play because, again, there was a lot on the line. Like, this is our last opportunity to play together as a team. Some of y'all, y'all need these looks in order to try to make it to the mm -hmm. NFL. So I'm like, no. With me being a projected first-round pick, I'm willing to risk it all to go out there and play with y'all one more time. My dad and my agents and all them was telling me, don't do it because you might get hurt and mess up your draft stop. But I'm like, man, I done made it through the season. I'm good. It's one more game. Should have listened to them because I ended up breaking my toe 
um, at, a, at a bowl practice. So I wasn't able to play in the senior bowl. I wasn't able to train for the combine. So I took a lot of different injuries on that a lot of people don't know about before even making it to the NFL. So hitting injuries, real injuries, how did you still keep your focus on like the bigger picture? That's a lot. I mean, like you, you because it's you, you, you talk about it like it wasn't a big deal because you passed it now. But you're talking about hidden injuries, documented injuries, and again, having a child, that's a lot. I'm, I've seen people drop out of school for less. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, I get the NFL being so close, but still at the same time, I don't think you had, I mean, you could have, I don't really know. The I had nothing else to go back to. Or back when, home. When that's your only, when that's your only option, it's like, what, what are you going to do? When I'm going to go back home and just hang around people I've been around my whole life? Or am I going to go out there and try to do something different? Like, it was hard. Like, yeah, I may talk about it right now like it wasn't nothing, but it was a lot of days where I had to cry through that pain in order to push through it because with every injury, it felt like my dreams was just slipping away from me. Um, but I just found a purpose that was greater than my pain, and I wanted to be able to show my family a different lifestyle that I didn't see growing up. Like, I refused to have kids and then raise them in the type of environment I grew up in because once I got to Penn State, like, when I grew up in Wilmington, I felt like this was normal. Like, seeing people die, wearing people on T-shirts Isn't that and crazy, stuff. Yeah, yeah like, crazy. going to parties where it's getting shot up every single time. I, I thought that was normal. But then when I went to Penn State and I'm starting to listen to everybody else's experience, I'm like, man, this ain't normal. Like, Weird. the type of stuff that we had to endure as kids, the type of things that we had to see, like, this ain't normal. And I was like, nah, if, no, if other people didn't have to grow up the way that I did, then this is the lifestyle I want to give my kids. I don't want them to see the stuff that I had to see. I don't want them to experience the type of pain that I had to experience. So it was just like, yo, whatever I had to go through today so that my family had a better tomorrow, I was willing to go through it. But it wasn't easy because even with the injuries and stuff um, at Penn State, even in the NFL, like my first couple of years, I was battling a lot of injuries. Before Lee even got diagnosed with cancer, that one year was crazy where I had dislocated my elbow against the Lions, and I was out for five weeks. And then I made it back to play against the Chargers, and then I played against the Steelers the next week. And during that game, I blew out my back again. And this is an injury. My back injury is something I have been putting off since uh, my senior year against Alabama because I thought that once you have back surgery, like your football career is mm -hmm. over. And I'm like, nah, I didn't make it through all this to end my career before it even began. But I blew out my back against the Steelers and I had to get seasoned in the surgery because I couldn't walk. Mm -hmm. Like I, I really couldn't walk. I would be in my living room crying and my wife made me go to the hospital and was like, yo, this is not normal. Like you gotta go see somebody. And when I got my MRIs and stuff done, they was like, nah, there's no way that you can play. You gotta get surgery. So I ended up getting surgery. And then a week after that, I ended up getting diagnosed with blood clots where I had to go to the hospital, Christiana, where I almost died because I didn't know I had blood clots in my lungs. And then a couple of months after that when, is when Leah got diagnosed with cancer. So it was just like, yeah, it was a lot of stuff going on. And I don't know, I was, I was in one of the darkest times in my life. But when it came to Leah, again, the same way I had to have a mindset where I didn't have nothing to go back to when I was in college. Like, I had to make it to the NFL regardless of the dark times I was going through. Like, I had to fight for my daughter because this is her life. Mm -hmm. we was talking about. So even though there were times where I wanted to give up, where I felt like it was just too much going on, I ain't had no choice. Like if I'm telling her that she got to fight 
for her life, who am I to be like, you know what, I'm too tired or this is too painful to continue to fight for you? Before we jump into the NFL, you were saying something about a dark time. What was the campus like doing? And I honestly, until you just said that, I forgot you were there around. I don't know details, yeah. but what was the campus like? What was the culture of football like? And how did y'all still remain knowing you lost somebody who helped recruit you, somebody who helped get you there? Like, y'all lost a lot and still made it to a bowl game, I think, with, like, your offensive coordinator at the head coach. Yeah, he was our defensive coordinator. Yeah, defensive coordinator. Yeah. What, was, the, what was it like? I don't even talk about this a lot, but I, I talked a, a little bit about it in my book. But when when Joe got fired, our campus uh, erupted and like riots. I never like, knew that. Yeah, they was downtown flipping cars over, knocking light poles over. They hit this? Start, huh? They hit this? Nah. I don't remember. The, I mean, nah, I guess because I, I tell you this, I didn't know that Joe was about to get fired. So we had a team meeting. Where Joe, he came in there, he was letting us know about everything that was happening, and he said that they're trying to, you know, force me to quit. And he was like, I'm gonna resign after the, the football season, which was even crazy to hear him say that because he had been there for like 60 years. Just like, damn, like the Joe Batona era is really about to end. But I remember when he was walking out of the, the team meeting that day, he stopped at the double doors and looked back at the team. And you could see him crying. And in my mind, I was like, nah, he's not coming back. I ain't never seen this man cry a day in my life. And I didn't see him go through some crazy stuff where he got ran over by receivers and broke his hip and popped up off the ground like there wasn't nothing wrong with him. Like, he was a tough dude. Mm -hmm. And to see him cry, I was just like, yeah, this don't seem right. So I was sitting in my living room that same night, and it came across the TV screen that he got fired. And uh, like I said, the whole campus broke out in the ride. They was flipping cars over, knocking down light posts. And that's when I started getting messages from everybody that um, they didn't know what they was going to do. So we had a team meeting the next day. Uh, we found out that we were going to the, the Ticket City Bowl. And it's like, we was like eight and two or something. Mm -hmm. We like, what the, what is the Ticket City Bowl? Like, how are we going to the nah, Ticket City I still don't know where it is. Nah, neither did I. <laughs> but I'm like, how are we going to the Ticket City Bowl just because of what some coach did that wasn't here when I was here? Like, y'all punishing us for something that we didn't do. So the whole team uh, was talking about boycotting. The new AD had found out because they fired the president, they fired the AD, and they fired Joe. And he was a former player. And he came in there after hearing that the team wanted to boycott. And he was like, no, y'all going to the game. Y'all going to play in the game. And I raised my, I rose my hand. I was just like, yo, we're not little kids. Like, you're not about to come in here and tell us what we're going to do. Like, if we want to go to the bowl game, we'll go to the bowl game. But you're going to come in here and address us with some type of respect because this ain't got nothing to do with us. This has everything to do with y'all and the way that y'all handled the situation. So I was like, we'll talk as a team and decide what we're going to do, but you're not going to tell us what we're going to do. So I had a meeting with Coach Johnson, and he was telling me about how, like, this is their last chance. Like, they know they're not going to be there the next year, so they have to put some good stuff on tape as well to show other universities what they're capable of doing as a coach. So I was like, all right, I'll talk the team into going because, again, I feel like if we don't go, we're sending a message to the whole Penn State family that it's okay to give up just because things are tougher, because things were unfair. So that's when I had the... I called the team meeting. I told everybody that, look, I'm willing to sacrifice it all for y'all to go out there one more time and wear the blue and white 
for y'all to get on film and show the coaches, the NFL coaches and scouts, what y'all capable of doing and send a message to the whole Penn State family that we're not going to give up when things get tough. And I feel like that moment was the moment we made a turnaround because we had to play Nebraska. And this was our first time playing without Joe Paterno. And this is our senior night. And I told the team, I was like, normally we run out the tunnel together. Um, but this time we're going to just lock arms and we're going to walk out onto the field. We're not going to run. We're going to walk out. We're going to show everybody that regardless of what y'all saying about this program, we're going to all stick together. And I think that that was the turning point uh, for Penn State football to be like, you know what? We can do this. This is a mess of stuff that's going on, but we can overcome it if we stick together. How how was it though? Because you said pulling together, yeah, so I'm assuming that you were a captain. Yeah, I was a captain. So how was it keeping all that together? Like, did you? I mean, because everybody's captain styles are different. Did they just get behind you, or was your team still a little hesitant about? Nah, they they got behind me because they knew I was about my business. I wasn't somebody that just go out there and talk or have a stuff. I, I worked. I worked hard, and I was a true leader. I led by example, and I was vocal about the things that I, that I wanted to do and the things that I saw for the team, and I think that they respected that. They don't respect leaders that just talk and tell people what to do. Like I said, I was projected to be the top pick in my class, and if I'm willing to risk it all to go out there, that should show you the importance of what we needed to do. So once I showed everybody I was willing to do it, they just came on board. Before we get to the draft, I do have a question about the draft. How did that feel, man? Like. I don't even know how many players each year declare for the draft. I don't know what that looks like. I've never declared for the draft. Yeah. But I don't – I'm going to just say throw a number out. Let's just say out of 500,000 people, right? Right. And it's – what is it? Seven rounds. Yeah. And then free agency after that. Yeah. How did that feel when you knew, like, all right, Devin, go get your suit. You're going to the draft. How did that feel? No, nah, that felt good going to the draft because as a kid, you, you watched that. Like you watch the draft, you see players walk across the stage at Music City Radio Hall and shake the commissioner's hand and hug him, and you just like, damn, can this ever be me? And to know that I had a chance to go out there and do what I used to see as a kid, it was just like, yo, this is real. Like everything that I endured when I was at Penn State and everything that I overcame, it was for a reason because now my dream is about to become my reality. But that day at the draft, it would. It was crazy. It was definitely not something I expected. Yeah, what happened? Because I, I, I recall, so I made a bet with uh, a guy. And he needs to remember this. I can say his name. His name Eric. So I made a bet with him about uh, you going first round. Mm -hmm. I think Charlie told me, Charlie's my little brother for people who don't know. Charlie told me you was uh, projected to go first round. Yeah. And then I was a guy. I'm not going to say his name. I'm not going to say his name. I'm like Poe. It's like, what's his first oh, name? Oh, Don Terry Poe? Yeah, Don Terry Poe, who you had a better senior year than. And he, I think he played at Memphis. But he killed the combine. So I don't remember that. I didn't watch yeah, him. I was watching you. Now, that's when he took off because uh, he went to the combine. I think he ran like a 4-7 a or something. He was solid. He was a big, fast kid. Yeah, he's not that. But I still remember him going over you. And I'm like, I'm like, yo, first round went over. Why didn't Devin get picked? Then my boy made a bet with me. As the draft was going by, he said, I guarantee you, my team going to get him. He was a Cincinnati fan. I can't make this up. This really happened. And I was like, I mean, I'm glad you made it yeah. to your dream. But what happened? Why you felt as though you didn't go first round? I was projected to go top 15. Um, and I think that me not showing up to the senior bowl and playing in the senior bowl, because like I said, I was hurt. 
Um, and I felt like if I went out there and played in the senior bowl, I wouldn't have been able to perform at my best because as a defensive lineman, you break your toe, all your power is coming from your feet. You can't take off. And I didn't want to continue to hurt myself even more. So I didn't go to the senior bowl. And one of my teammates, when I got drafted to Cincinnati, uh, he was saying that at one of the practices, the defensive line coach was like, yeah, Devin didn't come out here because he was scared of competition. He's like, or did you not watch me? Like, what are you talking about? Like, I, the whole time at Penn State, I played against the number one team, Alabama. Look what I did to them. Like, what? Are, I watched what that game. You got to me. Yeah, it's like, what are you talking about? Scared of competition. Like, nobody here is as good as those offensive linemen there. But I'm like, all right, whatever. And then at the the combine, I couldn't, I couldn't train for my forty. I couldn't do the on field drills because I couldn't really walk. I couldn't run both because of my toe and my back. I spent most of my time rehabbing. Um, as I was preparing for the combine, getting acupuncture and stuff and learning how I can deceive the doctors at uh, the combine. Because what people don't know, uh, just to give y'all inside look at what it's like for the draft or for the combine, like if you have a known medical history or injury history, they will make you lay on a table in front of a room full of team doctors. Like they just all circle around. It's the craziest thing ever. So they'll make you lay on the table, and then each team doctor gets to come up to you and start pulling on you, like pulling on your ankles, your knees, your fingers, like all your joints to check to see how it's moving or if you're still hurt. Mm -hmm. So the whole time I was training for the combine, I was learning techniques to try to make my toe feel like it was solid, like it was in place. I was learning how to control my pain so when they pulled on my toe, I wouldn't show it on my face. So this whole time I was training, I was learning these different techniques and uh, it worked because I was able to make it through the combine without getting flagged. The doctors weren't able to see what I was going through, but when it came time to get on the field and actually do the drills, like I was skipping some of the drills because my toe was on fire just from warming up for the 40. So I think a combination of not going to the senior bowl and then not actually performing at the combine, it really, took a hit on my, my draft stuff. So I got a question for you, because you did something that I never, ever, ever would do. But now that I am, I look at it differently. And what I'm talking about is marriage, right? So shout out to my girl, Asha. Because I remember your draft party, right? Is that where you met her? Yeah, that's so where you introduced Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's take it out. I remember the draft party. So if you didn't come to the draft party, it was fun. I had a good time. But it's funny. I said, shout out to my dog, Asha, that you met. Uh, Asha. He about to say something crazy because he keeps shouting. No, 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 no. Shout out to you. No, because it's just. Anytime I'm going to say this because. I'm saying this because, like. I don't know what you I know. said. I'm not going to say nothing crazy, I promise you. Because Asha, that's my dog. I ain't going to say nothing. I, and that's I don't know nothing. Time, I don't man. know nothing to say anything crazy. But I do remember. I told Charlie. I said, yo, that Joker is crazy. It ain't no way. Like, I'm even going to be remotely serious. About anybody, and this is like, like I said, now that I'm married, I can say I know what my wife brings to me and the stability. Like, it's so much more that I gain, even when she gets on my nerve, like she's getting on my nerve today. I told you, like, it, I gain so much from having her, but still being, I think you was 22 at the time, 21 at the time, yeah. and to meet your wife, somebody who you met, like, I met her. Yeah, yeah, you she met. wasn't my no, wife. No, 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 I'm saying, but to, I didn't get to married until I was 26. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, but you 
somewhat kept in as much contact as possible with her. I'm getting that is did that help you having somebody that you look at as a really close friend? Because I mean, I'm sure y'all didn't. I know y'all didn't date the next day, but there was something there. She did something or said something to you that made it so you was like, like I'm gonna keep talking to her. I'm going for You want me to give you the answer so I keep my marriage intact right now, or you want me to give you the real? It's up to you. I mean, because I told you what, what you did, I would have never done. And it's not. What, 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 hold on. What, what did you think? What do you think I did? <laughs> Found your wife at 21, 22. No, no. So you met her then? I met her. My oh, mindset okay. wasn't no marriage. So I didn't know. When that. I first made it to the league, when I first made it to the league, it was like. Yo, all the things that I used to see on TV, on BET, Uncut, when yeah, I was growing yeah, yeah. up, That's staying, what I was up thinking. staying up to 1 o'clock in the morning, I'm like, I'm about to be able to live this lifestyle. Right. And but, I lived it. But you still met your wife, though. I met her. But y'all wasn't there. I didn't see her as okay. my wife at the time. Okay, okay. That's what I was getting at. So I, I got like, everything out. man for that. No, nah, I wasn't the man. I lived a very interesting lifestyle along with some other people. I'm not going to call out, but I had a lot of fun. <laughs> I had a lot of you fun. Shouldn't. <laughs> you don't. I hope you wouldn't. I, I had a lot of fun. Oh, my bad. No, you, that's probably her calling me right now. This thing didn't even go live yet. Now I had a lot of fun. Um, my first couple of years in the NFL, uh, but eventually I got to a point where it got old because it costs a lot of money to have yeah, a lot of fun. It definitely does. And I, I think once you. Once you live this party lifestyle in the NFL, gets old really fast. Especially if you went from being in college to I, the interesting story. When the clock hit zero, right at my bowl game, when my clock hit zero, they wired a hundred thousand dollars to my bank account. What did that feel like? And where are you going with that? I'm about to tell you where I'm going. <laughs> so imagine growing up not really having it like that, like really struggling. And then as soon as the clock hits zero and I walk outside of the game into the parking lot, my agent's like, check your bank account. I look in it, it's $100,000. And they say, we got a fight for you tomorrow to go to Miami. You give me, somebody who didn't really have money growing up, i never been to Miami, and you send me down there with $100,000. How much of that you, you still got? I, I blew it in like three months. <laughs> I blew, it, I blew it in like three months because I didn't know nothing about money. And, again, I'm in Miami. So it was just like things got a little bit crazy. But I was able to get a lot of that out of my system early on. So when I got serious about, about Asha, which was like two years after us meeting, one thing that stuck out to me about her, she wasn't like the other girls because I was talking to girls in Miami, and we all know what they about they always want something they want to do stuff yeah, yeah. but she was really interested in me like I would come back to Delaware we'll chill at her grandma's house we'll go to the New York Fried like it was just regular it just reminded me of home and I liked that because being in the NFL everybody pushing and pulling you everybody wants to hang out with you uh, because they know what you got but her was just like nah I don't want to do none of those things I just want to chill and I was like yo I need this type of woman in my corner because but I know life is just full of ups and downs. Like sometimes you're going to be up, sometimes you're going to be down. You want somebody in your life that's going to be there with you, whether you're riding high or you at the, you know, you in the valley. And she showed me that early on. So I was like, nah, I'm going to cut back on this lifestyle that I'm living. And I'm going to focus on her because I don't want to take advantage of this person. I don't want to take advantage because not a lot of people come into your life 
that are like this, that are this genuine. So I was just like, after Charlie got married, I was like, so, so him and John. So John got married first, and then Charlie got married next. And then I was just like, you know what? If they see the value in marriage, then maybe I need to take this stuff yeah. serious. And uh, I decided to pop the question. Yeah. Congrats, brother. Yep. That was probably one of the best decisions you made. Cause the best decision I ever made in my life, yes, Asha. you heard him, Asha. Shout out to Asha, like I said. <laughs> but it, the, the date market out here now is so bad that I don't even, I keep I don't even entertain it. Yeah, I, from what I hear, because I'm, I'm married too, but yeah. from what I hear. But so you said you walked across, so you walked after your last game, 100,000, Miami, Cincinnati. What was that like? Like, I don't know. From So I can speak from going to Cincinnati. I went to Three games. Mm -hmm. One of them, I drove all the way to Cincinnati. Y'all playing Baltimore Ravens. You drove there? Yeah, I drove there, man. That's wild. Four, That's four, four people in a in a Toyota Camry, and two of them were, at the time was over three hundred pounds. I remember you went to the Baltimore game. That's when beef was out there too, bro. <laughs> yep. yep. So so Pride that game. So that game, I went to two. I went to one in Baltimore. I went to two in Baltimore. Hold on, did I? I, I know I went to two to Baltimore and one in Cincinnati because I think you played Cincinnati for three years, right? Yeah. One you didn't play, you was hurt. Yeah. So, Cincinnati, what was that like? Like, so coming from, because I thought it was boring. I could be wrong. I just didn't like Cincinnati. I, even like, even the It's a life. different type of city in Cincinnati because during the daytime, like, everybody comes into the city and they work. So, work. downtown's really uh, packed. But when work hours is over, everybody goes back out of the city. So, it's really not a lot to do in there, which is good. If you're playing football, because it allows you to focus. Like mm -hmm. I can't imagine being in a city like Miami and playing football. There's too many distractions going on. So the people in Cincinnati was cool. The nightlife is not not so much. Hard. But to be able to play in any city, um, to play football, like that, that, that's crazy. It was absolutely crazy to me because I know the first game that I had was against um, Baltimore in Baltimore. And I remember that first game where I saw Ray Lewis come out of the, the tunnel. I was just like, and this is when I was starting on the nickel package, um, which is basically a third down package, a, a pass um, package. And when I saw him come out of the tunnel, it was like, it's oh, this real. is real. Yeah, it's real. It's real. Like, it, it's real. You see him doing his dance, and it's like, yo, you grow up watching this. Like, this mm -hmm. is the real deal. Like, you finally made it. So it, it was just crazy. What was that? Uh, what was that like, what was that feeling like when you realized, like, yo, I have access to go say hi to Ray Lewis? And I don't know if you did it, because like, no, nah. man, I, I, I don't, you don't strike me as that type of. But what was that like, like, just to be like, like that real feeling? Was it like, was it to the point where you was looking back and like, yo, I gotta smack myself to wake up? Like, this gotta be a dream, or was it like, I'm ready? Like, it's it's time. No, no, I, I was just telling myself it's time. Like, I I think it was just crazy to actually see it. And person, I think that every person who makes it to the NFL has that moment where they look back at their whole childhood about how they felt like it would be to play in the NFL. Like you, you live that out. Like when you're in the backyard playing or you at the park playing with your friends, you acting like you in the NFL. And now this ain't an act no more. Like mm -hmm. you really here. So just to see Ray Lewis come out that tunnel, like yeah, I had one of those moments where it's like, damn, that's really him. But. The third down pack is about to be called out in, in three yeah, plays, so I got to get my head back on. But nah, it, it was definitely something that you go through where you just be like, man, this is crazy. Which which one was which experience would you say was more sensational? So like, 
I was I was listening to a podcast where uh, Draymond Green was speaking on the comparison. He was talking he was talking about LeBron James how he never experienced the the uh, rivalries of college. Mm-hmm. So I was like, and, and it's crazy. As much as I like LeBron, I, I never thought about that. Like he really did because he's so good. It's like you know, this dude never went to yeah. college. But which one would you say? Uh, sensation wise, like like not sensation wise. Which one would you say like? Uh, which one had the better experiences? Now NFL is strictly business. College is too, but NFL is strictly business. Money on the table if you can't perform. Buy. Where college you get hurt, redshirt you, play you later, blase blase. Where NFL you're strictly paying for money. Even outside of that, which one felt better to you when it came to like, like gaming, like playing in games? Uh, definitely college, because I played poor in college. So we are, in college, our rivalry was against Ohio State. So especially when we had to play them at home at Beaver Stadium in our whiteouts at night, I remember the first time I played in the whiteout against Ohio State. I mean Ohio State, and it was a night game where it was snowing, and like the pregame warmups, like the music they was playing, 110,000 fans all dressed in white, pumping their pom poms. But I, I don't know, I had like this crazy feeling in my body, like this is about to be crazy because like I told you for two years, I was sidelined with injuries. So I would witness it, but I never was playing in it. And I remember when I was on the sideline hurt, I would be crying because it's like, yo, this feeling is so crazy, but I can't participate. Yeah, I can't participate in it. So the first time I was able to play and we played against Ohio State at night in the whiteout, I don't know, it's just something that goes through your body where it's just like, yo, I got to snap this game. You, you ain't got no other choice because the environment is so crazy. But in the NFL, it's different because our, our, our rivals was the Steelers, so those games was always, it was crazy playing against the Steelers, but nothing really compared to, you know, playing under, under the lights at a whiteout against Ohio State. So did the distractions of the business side of the NFL ever get to you? And I'm only asking you this because I think, you know, don't, you can, you'll know. What season was it where they had a camera crew? I don't remember what it's called. Uh, something. Hard Knocks. Yeah, Hard Knocks. Yeah. What season was that? That was my, I think, well, yeah, it was my first, I mean, my first year. So the business side of it, when do you feel like you grasped a better, uh, what's the best way to ask this question? When, when did you feel as though the business side of it became uh, noticeable to you? Like you started realizing, okay, this is strictly business with them. Because hmm. I remember watching Hard Knocks, and I remember them pulling you in, not telling you to, I don't know what they said to you, because, you know, you can't make a... No, I remember, I remember, yeah. I remember that, that, that Hard Knocks, because you said that somebody said to you that you saw what happened to Devin on Hard Knocks, he got pulled into the room, yeah, and you was yeah. like, he's football. Yeah. Like, what do you expect? You get pulled into your office at your job, like your baby mom pulled you into the office because you ain't <laughs> doing what you're supposed to do as a dad, like, come on. Like, nah, the, I knew from day one, the moment they cut me my check. The first time I got a check was like for $800,000. And I was like, this is a business. Nobody's about to give you a million dollars and not treat this like a business. So I already knew from, from day one what to expect. Like with the hard knocks, I watched that the whole time I was in college. So I kind of knew what that was like. But anytime you're making that type of transition and you're playing against people who have been there for years and you're trying to catch up to speed um, with the way that they do things in a program and again, I was battling the injuries. Those type of conversations you have with 
the coaches are normal. The moment your coaches stop talking to you, you should be worried about it. But if they care enough to pull you into an office and have a sidebar conversation with you, like, yo, I know that you have more in you. What can we do better to help push you? That's the type of conversations you shouldn't be worried about. The moment they just look at you and they're not talking to you, they're just it's walking right past you, that's what you should be worried about. So the departure from Cincinnati, where'd you go after that? And what, what led to the departure? What, met, what led to y'all, to you leaving that team? Yeah, so that's the year that Leah got diagnosed with cancer. So a lot of people think, I, and I let the story run how it was going to run because I didn't really care about you know what was going on. Bigger thing, bigger fish to fry. Right. Yeah, but a lot of people think that I had got cut, and then the Bengals found out um, that Leah had cancer, and they brought me back to be on the practice squad. So I had insurance, but that's not how the story went. Uh, they knew before training camp even started because I called them and let them know what I was going through, and they told me to do what I needed to do for Leah. And when I got back to training camp, I was crushing. Like, I was killing when I got back to training camp. Like, my dad would call my coach and ask them, you know, how was I doing out there mentally and how was I doing on the field? And he was telling me, like, I was having the best training camp out of all the defensive linemen there. So I was good when I went back because I took the time off I needed to get my mind right. The thing that I know got me cut was, so Leah was supposed to move out to Cincinnati when she got diagnosed that she could be at the hospital out there um, so that I can go back to work so that she had insurance and she can be close to me because my whole thing was if I don't know how long I'm going to have with my daughter, I want to be able to spend all the time that I can with her to try to create these memories um, with her. But if I need the insurance to go back out there, like I want her to go to one of the best hospitals in Cincinnati. So she was supposed to move out there one day and then I got a phone call, a text message while I'm in a meeting uh, watching film that she was no longer moving out there. Mm -hmm. And I had left the meeting. I just got up and I walked out and I was in the, um, the hallway crying, like trying to beg her mom to bring her out there. Cause I'm like, I don't want to be out here if Lee is not here. Mm -hmm. And while I'm in the, uh, inside the hallway, the team walks out and they go through our, our walk through practice. And I was like, the hell with practice. I'm not going to practice either. I need to find out what's going on with my daughter. And then I saw the GM walk downstairs and he walked past me. It was just like, is everything okay, Devin? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, damn, he know I'm not at practice. I know I'm, something's about to happen. Mm -hmm. So then when the last cuts came out, I ended up getting cut. And they was like, listen, we tried to trade you to the Eagles so that if your daughter's going to be staying at CHOP, you can be close to her and still play football. But everybody knows what's going on with your daughter. So damn, they wasn't going to take that trade. So they was like, we'll cut you, put you on the practice squad, and allow you to be with your daughter. We know nobody's going to pick you up because of what you're going through right now. And we'll just bring you on our practice squad and make sure that you have time to go and be with Leah. So they ended up cutting me. I was on the practice squad for like two weeks, and then they brought me back up to the active roster. How did that feel, though? Like, So how did the not feel? I'm, I'm sure that was a dark time in your life. I'm not talking about like that feeling. But how did it cut? Yeah, how did it feel to get cut? One, it's a two-part question. And then how did it feel when you did get back on the team? Like, how were you uh, accepted? Like, was it like a, oh, because you know people are weird. Yeah. Oh, he only on the team because of this. Or was the competitive driving you, like, like keeping people from talking no. down? That was my first time ever getting cut. That was the craziest feeling I ever had. I've never got cut before in my life. So to experience that, it was crazy because it was mounted with 
me just finding out a couple of weeks ago that Leah had cancer. So I remember that day that I slept for like 24 hours straight. I didn't even want to wake up because it felt like my world was falling apart. And I didn't really want to face my reality, so I just tried to sleep it off and hopefully wake up and this would all be a dream. But it wasn't. But when I got back on the team, nah, because the interesting thing about this that a lot of people don't know about is when I got cut, my teammates was upset. And because they was like, when the news started going out that um, that the Bengals put me back on so that I had insurance for my daughter, like everybody was like, yo, stop letting them use your story. Like this is messed up that they they cut you and then they're letting the story go out there that um, they put you back on the team for insurance and stuff. But I was just like, yo, at the end of the day, I don't really care what the story is being told as long as my daughter yeah, yeah, yeah. is taken care of. So when I, when they pulled me back up, I, I was, of course I was happy um, that I was able to go out there and play football, but I, it wasn't feasible because after every game, mind you, I just had back surgery. I would leave, literally, as soon as the game ended, I would rush into the showers, get dressed, go out to the car, and drive to the airport so I can get on the plane to get back with Leah because we had two or three days off after every single game. So I would go back to, um, to be there with her, and I'm laying in the hospital on a hospital cot after just having back surgery. So it was like my body was falling apart, traveling like that. I wasn't able to work out with the team, and I remember Marvin Lewis, he pulled me to the side and said, like, look, I know that you you have to travel back and forth to be there with your daughter, but I need you to try to get into the gym because they can see. I, I had natural muscles. Like my muscles are naturally big, and it was like turning the fat. I was gaining a lot of weight because of all the stress that I was under, and I wasn't able to work out. So when they brought me back up to the team, I couldn't even go out there and perform at my best because my head wasn't there and my body followed. So. How was Houston? Because I think you went to Houston and then the Jets, right? Yeah. So how, how was Houston? Like how was that re- so clearly, we got through it. Yeah, like, you got through it. Thank God, everything went according to probably not your plans because God always has a plans. I'm sure you had a plan. You probably didn't see what was gonna happen, but yeah. it worked out. Right. So how was Houston? How was that rebirth of a fresh air? Like getting a second opportunity to pursue your dreams. Man, so when, once Leah got declared cancer free, I signed with Houston like a couple of weeks later. Um, so to get a fresh start, uh, I had a chance to start down there. And again, during OTAs, I was killing it. Like my coach, I remember we had a meeting going into training camp, and he walked up to the front, our defensive line coach, and was like, man, we have such and such and such. And he put my name on the list, and he was like, these dudes are like Apple. Like I know what I'm getting from them each and every day. And I had to battle it out with some guy named Covington. He was like, y'all have a chance to be the starter. So it was all about who pulls in front of each other. And I was just like, oh, this won't be easy. Like, what? I I've been down here killing it this whole time, not really worried about it. And I was like, to be able to bounce back from that, what Leah went through and then, and then become a starter, it would be crazy. But then, again, the injury bug bit me again where I had, um, I blew out a muscle in my, in my calf. I don't know how this happened. We was just doing warm-ups and we was doing takeoffs, and I took off and I felt like somebody smacked the back of my leg and I turned around. I'm like, well, who just smacked me when I'm doing this drill? And wasn't nobody there. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Imagine feeling like somebody smacked the back of your leg and you turn around, there's nobody there. Yeah, that's crazy. And 
I laid down on the ground because I couldn't walk, and the trainers came over to me, and they started to check out my cat. And the GM walked over because they already knew what I was about to bring to this team. So mm-hmm. they not about to come check on you if, you know what I mean, they ain't had no plans of you being a, being um, there. yeah, being there. So I, when I saw him walk over, I'm like, oh, let me just act like ain't nothing wrong with him. So I said, yo, just put some icy hot on it, and I'll get up and, and keep playing. But I, I could feel like something was wrong in my cat, but I still went out there and I kept practicing. And my head coach was like, yo, you ain't got to do that. Like, you a vet now. Like, I'll take care of you. Just go ahead and get your leg right. Um, so I was out for, like, a couple of weeks to try to let my muscle heal. And I came back. We had to go practice against the 49ers. And this one, Chip Kelly's there. And you know playing football, you take any time off from playing, like, you get out of shape fast. Like, it, it's really weird. So we out there in Cali, we going against Chip Kelly, who running the no huddle um, right after my injury. So I was a little gassed. I wasn't at the top of my conditioning, uh, but I made it through it. And I made it onto the team, even with all the injuries I was dealing with. But then against the Titans, I was having one of my breakout games. Like I was balling this game. And then I tried to play a double team and I set my foot into the ground to try to anchor. And they just kept pushing. And I just felt my foot fold in half. And I had tore uh, a Liz Frank injury in my foot. And after that, I knew it was a wrap for me. Like, that, was, that was that preseason? Or that no, was, was during the season. So how many years, more years did you play after that? That was my after, it, was, it was like third, my third game into the season with the Titans that I had the Liz Frank injury. And then and I had to get surgery. And then I tried to fight back from that. And that's when I ended up with the Jets. But I knew I shouldn't have been there either. And this is the crazy thing. Because they called me, was like, we want you to come out here for training camp because we like you, we want you to play for us. And I knew I wasn't ready yet with my foot, but I'm like, man, it's not going to be too many opportunities when you keep battling all these injuries. And football is like dog years. And I had already, you know, spent a lot of my years with Leah battling cancer two years and then a year with injuries. So I went out there and I remember they put a contract in front of me and it was for like, $800,000 and I'm sitting at the table because in the closet said um, if I get hurt they only have to pay me 200000 like even if I'm a starter and I'm helping the team it get to the oh, playoffs oh that was for the year it's for the oh, year if I get hurt at any time during the season they can cut my stuff in $200,000 or let me go or whatever and I'm like damn even if I'm a starter and I helped y'all make it to the playoffs y'all can still just cut me if I get hurt, and I'm talking to my agent, Drew Rosenhaus, and I'm like, yo, I don't know if I should do this because my foot still messed up. I know I'm going to get hurt at some point in this season because it's not completely healed. But he was like, do you think that you can go? And I was just like, no. But <laughs> if this is my only opportunity that I got to do, yeah, if it's my only opportunity, what you, what I'm going to do? He was like, well, the choices in your hands, like you said in the contract, if you get hurt for any reason, they can just cut you and, and it'll be done. So I'm like, all right, I hung up the phone with him and I'm sitting there with the contract. And the lady uh, from the Jets keeps coming back in the room. It's like, is everything okay? And I'm just like, yeah. And I'm like, I know she's thinking to herself, well, I just put a million dollars in front of you. Like, what's taking you so long to sign the contract? Yeah, close. Yeah. But I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to go out here and, and do it. And immediately I knew it was the wrong decision because every after every practice, I would have to ice for like hours, but like I could not walk at all. 
And I called my wife and I told her, like, yeah, I, I can't do this, bro. Like, I, I'm just going to have to hang this up because right now I'm just, I'm willing to put my quality of life in the future at risk just to make this money because I don't think that I can make this type of money doing anything else or I have something, I feel like I have something to prove to people. And it's like, I don't have nothing to prove to people. I made it this far with everything that I've been through. I want to see what I can do outside of football. How did that feel, man? Because I'm going to tell you, I'm going to speak from my experience, right? And I didn't make it halfway as far as you did. But I remember, I, I, I'm just being completely transparent, I remember three things specifically happening. One, having to accept that I couldn't play football anymore. Yeah. So NFL was done. Yeah. But I didn't make it there. Two, uh, th this was the hardest one for me to accept, that like no matter what I did, or what I like, what I did previously. That all that not was in vain, but all the work that I put into. Because my mom, NFL, 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 NFL. No matter what I did, it's not gonna happen. Yeah. And then three, that getting rid of that high. Because like that was the dark. I mean, I tell you, I ain't watch football. If it wasn't for I you, just started watching football. Yeah, but, but if it wasn't for you, I promise you, I would be like, I, I wasn't watching it. Yeah. Like my boys were like, yo, yo, you see the Eagles this and this. I'm like, I don't. Yeah, like it, I was pretty good. So yeah. I don't really like I, I, the fact that I didn't make it, and I'm looking at people on TV, and I'm thinking like, I could have done that. Yeah, yeah it's like I don't want to watch it. So yeah. I, I went for a long time. I watch it now, yeah. but I went a really, really long time. And what I looked at is dark, as uh, as a darkest month uh, part, and I mean, a dark moment in my life. And I only made it to college. Like yeah. I didn't even. I played really one year. Out of four years, so I ain't even experienced the highs you experienced. Yeah. But how did that feel walking away from? I know how I feel, so I can't imagine. It's hard. Yeah, yeah, you I don't can't want to imagine. Do it Man, you had this mindset that I can get through anything. So like, I don't think that no athlete be like, you know, I think it's really time to hang it up. Even when you look at Tom Brady, he retired for that one year and he came right back. Like we always think we got one more year left in us. But I had to just tell myself like, yo, that one more year that you go back out there. You might really permanently injure yourself, and are you willing to do that for what? For eight hundred thousand dollars? Like I, I don't, I know for a fact because of the injuries that I've dealt with, I don't have a chance to get the max contract that I was hoping to get from the NFL. So what am I really doing this for? And I realized that I was doing it for other people because nobody want to hear yo what happened. Like you always feel like you gotta prove yourself to yeah, people. It's like bro. I made it to the league. Like, I, I don't know what else you want me to tell you. <laughs> like, I ain't never seen nobody come out of Wilmington make it to the league before, deal with all the injuries that I dealt with. Like, at a certain point, you got to just hand it off. You got to hand the baton off to somebody else and let them run their race, right? So one of the things that I like when I look back at Delaware, I didn't see nobody making it to the NFL or making it D1 when I was coming up. To see how many people that came out of Delaware right now, and play in the NFL, it's like, yo, that's what you want to see. Like, you got to be able to pass that off and say, look, I was able to take this as far as I could. Now it's your turn to take this as far as you can mm -hmm. and inspire the people from Wilmington or the kids who are trying to make it to the professional ranks to take it even further than what you're doing. So I had to walk away and be like, I don't have nothing to prove to nobody. Like, I put myself in a good position to transition outside of football, still make a good amount of money and take care of my family, and at the end of the day, have my physical health. So I, I got a question for you, right? So I watched Mike Tyson's last fight, and at the end of it, he spoke about uh, he ain't had a love no more. Mm -hmm. And he said he knew that training, everything. Like, he knew it training. He knew it before the fight. You know, I am just did this for money. I shouldn't have lost to this caliber of fighter. Yeah. So I, I say that, and, I, and I, the reason why I bring that up is, did you tap out 
prior to realizing like that what you just said, like that you it was time to walk away. Were you already tapped out like maybe two years ahead of it? Nah. Or just was like doing it because of the money? I felt like I was in a toxic relationship. You know how you still love somebody yeah. so bad like but they keep hurting you? Mm -hmm. That's how I felt. Like I was like, all right, I just give it more time then everything gonna turn out to be right. Like it's gonna change. That's the cycle I was stuck in. I was like, one year I'm just not gonna have injuries no more. Like I'm gonna take off. It's gonna be on ESPN, the comeback player of the year, and like all this other stuff. I was in a toxic relationship, and I had to be like, yo, this ain't never gonna change. Like it's hard, bro. You done had about five injuries in a short span of time. Like you're not gonna be able to bounce back from that and not have long-term repercussions. So I was just like, I didn't even tell my, I ain't tell my family that I was retiring. I made the announcement on uh, social media before I even told them because I knew. The way that I looked at football, all I needed was one person to put that battery in my back and be like, try Oh, you can do it. Just try one more time. And I'd be like, you know what? You're right. Let me go back out here. Yes, I said, nah, I'm going to just do this without telling anybody because I know that this is the right thing to do and I don't want nobody to change my mind about this. So I remember, like, I can't put a time frame on it. You know this. Like, shortly after. In my, from, from where I'm sitting, shortly after, you got into uh, – Motivational speaking, right? Mm -hmm. Correct, like shortly after, right? I'm, I don't know if it was two It was years. right after my SB speech, 2015. Okay, so yeah, shortly after you got into uh, motivational speaking, how much of your pain, pain played a part in delivering messages? Because I actually heard, I think, two mm -hmm. for sure, two for sure that I listened to personally. I was like, find out things that I didn't even know about you. I yeah. bought you, like I purchased your book, and you find out things that you didn't know my bread. My wife read it more than I did, cause yeah. like, I gotta be better with reading books. Like, yeah. I'll start, stop, start, stop. Yeah. My wife read it for like, from, did you know Devin? <laughs> I'm like, nah, I didn't know that actually. I'm not, not reading the book right now, you have it. So how would I know it? Yeah. I just got the book. But how much of uh, what you brought, what, what happened to you played a part in you're delivering of motivating others to 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 try to do better with their lives. Yeah, for me, like I, I started off thinking that this was, was motivational speaking, right? But when I look back at my life, it wasn't motivation that got me through the stuff that I went through. Like, of course, you'll be motivated. You turn on the speech, you may be motivated for an hour or so, for a couple of days, but eventually, your motivation wear off, and then your habits have to kick in, your mindset have has to kick in. So for me, it was more like giving people the mindset that I had in order to overcome all the challenges that I was going through. Because everybody talks about what they want to be in life, what they want to do, but rarely are people ready for the challenges that they're going to face. So for me, it was just going back and giving game. Like even when you asked me to come to Ferris a couple of times, like those are the, those are the, the speeches that I like the most because I know that those kids are at rock bottom and they're looking for something, some type of game to help them change their life around. So. For me, it wasn't even about motivating people. It's like, listen, if you want what I got out of life, this is what I did. And this is the type of mindset that I had. And I want people to see, like, I joked around earlier when you talked about uh, my freshman year playing football, but I wasn't good playing football. Like, my whole life, my dad wouldn't let me play sports because my grades were so bad. Like, I was getting suspended from school, like, every other day. So he wouldn't let me play sports. So when I first started playing, I was 13 years old, and I didn't really know the game. I'm just out there running around. So I, I wasn't good when I first got to high school, but I share that story with people because I want people to see that if you really want to accomplish something and you're willing to put in the work, it doesn't really matter how your journey starts off. It matters how it finishes. 
And as I progressed throughout high school, I was able to get better. I was able to understand the game of football. I stayed in the weight room. I got stronger. I got quicker. I got faster, and it showed up on the football field. So just showing those kids at first, like, it don't even matter how your story started off. Like You have the ability to change it if you come up with a plan, and when you get a chance to get back out here, you start implementing that plan and doing the right things, your life can be whatever you want it to be. So the motivational uh, speaking, right, because I agree with everything you just said, but the motivational speaking, how much of it brought closure to you? Because, I mean, as you're telling, like, as you motivate others, you, unless I'm wrong, you motivate yourself somewhat because you, yeah. you start to tap into things mentally like, ah, oh, yeah, this happened, this happened, yeah, let me make sure I, I, I say this. So how much closure and how much healing did that do to you mentally? Well, one, having to walk away from football. Two, watching people smile and be like, yo, like I'm in a room full of people who might not know this, but I need this just as much as them. So how much closure, if it did, and no, I think it does when I listen to people, because you can just tell when they get into it, but how much closure did motivational speaking bring to you? For me, it just gave purpose to my pain. Like, I didn't understand why I had to go through so much in my life. But when I realized I can take all these different lessons from the pain that I went through and give it to other people to help them overcome their challenges, it really gave me a purpose to what I was doing, and it, it pays well. I'm not going to lie. So yeah. it, it, it helped me. Helped. Yeah, it helped me make a difference in other people's lives, and it helped me take care of my family. So uh, so where are you at with that now? So nowadays, like, are, are you – do you still – I know you still do it because you, mm -hmm. you have a – an easier platform to do it now. I think you have more people you can reach from literally sitting in front of a mic, I mean, behind a microphone. But do you still do engagements? Yeah, I still do engagements. You still do? I, I don't do them as, as much because I want to, right now I'm focused on building my podcast with my wife uh, because I want to be able to spend more time at home. So I cut down on the speaking engagement, up my fees, and then now I'm just trying to work on building something with my, my wife. How is that, man? Because I'll be seeing you, uh, I'll be laughing, I'll be watching like, uh, not not laughing like ha ha laughing, but laughing like because it's like I couldn't imagine doing that yeah. with my wife. We got I know you live in the podcast. I know yeah. And I, we got I, we I got to bring, gonna ask that. We gotta bring all y'all on the podcast. You are gonna get me talking? I don't know about getting Ashley talking, but you can try. Asha might get her comfortable yeah. to talk. But how is that, man? Because I I find it rewarding. So there's two things. I I I told Charlie I couldn't do it, yeah. and it's not that I couldn't do it. I, I'm just not even so much the privacy part of me. It's just I know my wife. Man. Should be on there like kicking. Why, <laughs> why'd you bring that up, right? Because I think there's a certain level of it you have to be upfront, man. And that's just not actually. It's so it is what it is. So how was it doing it? Living in a world where everything you're promoting, the world is promoting the exact opposite. It's crazy, right? And the majority of the information you're hearing from relationships are coming from single men, yeah, or men that probably have fifty thousand girls yeah. to pick from, but they're focusing on. Things that they can't even relate to. So how is that? So we started our podcast for two different reasons. Number one, we got tired of all the face stuff. So we, we one specific example that happened that made us start is that we had a, a, a friend who does this relationship stuff, did relationship podcasts and stuff with her husband, and they did everybody on the outside look like they had the perfect marriage. But then one day they just po made a post that said we're getting a divorce. <laughs> yeah, like they're getting a divorce. And I'm reading the comments and everybody like, yo, how could you do this to us? Like, y'all could have just told us y'all was going through problems and that, you know, that would inspire us to work through our problems as well. But y'all try to paint it like y'all marriage was perfect. Mm -hmm. And now I done left my husband 
and then you was going through the same thing that I was going through. So I looked at Asha, I was like, yo, they're not looking for somebody to be perfect. They just looking for a couple to be real. And I was like, Jim, we can do that. We can go on there and talk about, you know, some of the challenges that we going through and we'll automatically get that audience who just want authenticity. And number two, I needed to do the research because I didn't grow up seeing a marriage. I don't know what a good marriage is. I don't know how you have a good marriage. Asha didn't grow up seeing that either. So it was like, if we don't actually study this and find out how you have a good marriage, we're going to end up in the divorce just like our parents because we're experimenting with something that you shouldn't experiment with. Like anywhere there's ignorance in your life, there's going to be experimentation. Mm-hmm. And a marriage is not something that you want to experiment with because too many people can get hurt if it doesn't last. We're going to get hurt. Our kids going to get hurt. So it's like we got to do something different and bring this information to other people who may not have had an example when they was growing up. Or even if they did, maybe it wasn't the right example. Maybe they witnessed a bad marriage. So how about we just give them the information about how they can have a good marriage and just show them that they're not the only people who are going through the struggle. So at first it was weird because you always hear, keep your marriage private, don't let people into your business. But I think that's the problem in the first place. Because now when you're so secretive about everything you're going through, you don't know that other people are going through the same thing. Sometimes you think it's just you. Yeah, so you might give up on your marriage not knowing that whoever is going through it as well. But when you open, and of course you don't want to share everything with everybody, but when you just open about it, people can relate to you. And it, it helps us. It gives us a purpose in our union. No, I love it because I'm going to tell you one of my favorite shows, right? And, and you probably going to laugh, but Black Love, man. Black Love. Yeah. yeah. I, so I, me and Ashley they asked us to be on there. You should have did it. I could have laughed. It, did COVID happen? Oh, okay. Yeah. But the reason why I love that show because I, at first off, I, I, I never forget when we first started watching. I was like, well, this is phony. Like, man, I, I don't. I don't Mind you, I didn't watch the episode. I'm just man. talking about like the uh, the uh, highlights of what it's going to be. I'm like, man, they gonna be on there being honest. Yeah. I watched every single one. They real. Yo, know, every single episode, every single season, and then the one that's the hardest one to watch, not for me. Because it relates with the hardest one to watch was uh, about infidelity. Mm-hmm. There was a whole, uh, if you watched it, there was a whole show on infidelity. But we ain't gonna talk about that. But what I'm getting at is one of my favorite shows is Black Love because, like you just said, it's not talked about. And I even had a conversation with Ashley. Like, I wasn't raised uh, to talk about my feelings. Yeah. One. Two, I wasn't raised. Like, my dad did it, but I wasn't raised. Like, I didn't know what loyalty looked like. I didn't know what. Uh, like I didn't know what a stable house looked like right. per se when it came to like I seen okay my mom's here yeah. my dad's here like they had yeah. arguing all the time like their relationship was crazy but yeah. they made it work yeah. but I didn't I had to figure out all this stuff on my own so I actually like the ideal behind podcasts with people like you and Asha keeping it real because you can tell y'all genuinely love each other because y'all argue and y'all get mad at each other. So if, you, if you ain't arguing, I don't think you love each other. But seeing that, but like I said, it's just so overshadowed by like this whole single girl movement. And it is what it is. But I love seeing it. And I hope y'all keep doing it because like even like loving on your wife, man, that ain't nothing that's talked about with black men. Nah. Like it's like, it's like you're not cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not cool if you, like I literally love my wife. Yeah. And it's like, I don't really talk about it a lot. So there you go, Ashley. You heard me. Yeah, I'm going to put this on my page too. So the whole world here. <laughs> but, but you don't hear it a lot. But it's crazy because you don't hear it a lot. It is not talked about a lot. But it's like, why not? Like, we talk about everything else. I remember. Because the crazy thing, when people hear about marriage, it's always in a negative light. 
So men be like, man, I ain't getting married. Yeah, you crazy. Yeah. I ain't being tied down yeah. to one. Bro, it's the best thing yeah. I ever had. Like when I walk into my house and my wife is happy when I walk into my house, my girls is happy. Mm-hmm. Like that's a crazy feeling yeah. when your kids really like is. they I don't know, cause when it'd be sometimes when we wake up in the morning, like my daughter, like Aria, she's very affectionate. Like her her love language is physical touch. And there would be times where she'd just run into our bed and she'd just hug us and kiss us and say, good morning, mom, good morning, dad. It's just like, yo, we doing something right. Rewarding. Where our kids feel love. They, like, we got to make this work for them. I want to see what it's like if we create the right environment, how that pours into our children, how that affects them growing up. But marriage... Man, it's the best decision I ever made in my life. Like even, even when it's hard, man. Yeah, even it's, when a, it's a beautiful nerves. thing. Yeah, because yeah, if you mess with a bunch of different girls, it's going to be hard. Yeah, the same, even harder because you're dealing with most multiple personalities. But when you married, you get to know this person, you understand this person, you know what makes them tick, and y'all able to build something together. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I think that's the beauty of getting married early on is that y'all are able to come together come up with one vision for your family, you work together as a team to pursue it. So it's just like, I don't know, they're pushing a narrative out there that I think is intentional about separating a nuclear family and not getting people to see the power in that union and working together. But that's me and Asha's goal is to show y'all that everything that y'all chasing after, you can do that as a family as yeah, well. Like you don't need to live a certain type of life. I mean, I'm living it. And, and, and the funniest thing is, I literally had this conversation with my wife maybe like a month ago. And because I was on the phone with my brother and he was having a rough time. My my older brother having a rough time going on some things mentally. And I told him no matter how many girls I slept with, now that I'm married and, and have zero desire to do that because I'm chasing something worth yeah, generational wealth, things yeah. of that nature. So that stuff doesn't make me feel any more like, Let me repeat like that real quick. Male. I don't even think about that stuff no more. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, because like honestly if you if you really did sit here and think about like like, if you took 10 minutes out of your life, they'd be like, yeah, yeah I mean, so this, 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 this. That stuff to me is Bro, like, I ain't going away for two minutes. I'm going to give a random girl two minutes of my best and then ruin my whole life. Yeah, but people don't like ruin my kids. Life. Like, I, but again, it's not talking about Yeah, right. you got to think about the consequences before you take action to doing something. I'm not about to spend five minutes with a random girl and then my wife found out and I just ruined my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it don't make no sense. So it don't even cross my mind to do anything like that because I know what's at stake. And I heard Shaq talk about that uh, during the podcast, and I was happy to see how vulnerable that he got yeah. with saying, like, it was all his fault. Yeah. Because, again, you come home to a 30,000-square-foot house, and you're looking down the hall, and you're the only person in there. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, I ain't with And your kids ain't, ain't under the same roof as you? Like, I, And I just had my first ch- son yeah. four months. And I can't, like, this early on, I can't imagine him not... Like, I, I watch, I wake him up, he be smiling at me. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, yeah, like, yeah, those smiles in the morning yeah, is crazy, bro. I, I'm like, yo, I'm about breath be sticky. Yeah, and they don't even care. Nah, they don't care at all. They breath don't stick right now, but when they get around two it's years gonna old, start. it's going to be real. But not nah, the morning smiles when they wake up and they see your face for the first time, and they just be smiling at you. Like, that's the type of stuff that I feel like need to be talked about more. Like, men need to know what that be like, bro. Like, you need to be in your kids' life because that... Those moments for them is so crucial, especially early on in our life, being able to, you know, see you as that secure base and see that, you know, recognize you every single morning. Like, that's important to life, and I don't think that is there's enough spotlight shined on them. I agree. So if you want me to, I'm going to say this, Ashley going to be mad, but if you want me to come on yours, 
I'm Y'all. You're going to have to. Yeah, yeah. I actually yeah. want to come on. Me, it's her. Her is me. So yeah. you, you say her, she's going to do it. But I'll tell you what, if you want us to come on there, you got to pursue her. I'll tell it's you. Easy. I'll, I'll do it, but she's going to be the one. It's easy. Because she's going to sit there and act like, I'm going to be she's gonna, she's gonna kicking me under the Nah, we're going to talk about it all because what. I, I, because I think that when she sees us open up about certain things and she be like, oh, oh, they going through this stuff too, then I don't mind yeah. talking about it. Black Love did that for her. I yeah. probably, I probably, that was one of the best things we sat down as a family. We watched a lot of stuff. BMF, we watched it. Man. But one of the best things that I like, because I'm like, like, I talk, she talks. But something about, like, we just be talking sometimes just because you're around each other. Yeah. But the Friday be like, well, what do you think about that? I was like, them intentional conversations. Yeah, yeah, crazy, right. right? Oh, so you were paying attention? Yeah. I didn't think you were paying attention. Yeah. But it opened up so many doors, and that's why I said I like the fact, and I definitely wanted to highlight your podcast, I like the fact that men are talking, because women, we, they don't talk, but men are talking about their feelings and yeah. things that I was raised to not even, like, you better not even talk about your feelings. You, My dad would call me a punk. Yeah. But to see alpha men and men who aren't afraid to talk about their relationship with their wife and loving their wife because I do it off camera, Man. but I, 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 I'm behind it. I'm ain't, not, it. ain't nothing like giving that public affection, though. You you I start speaking about it, it, you get there, yeah, you won't have no problems with Ashley. It's her. It me. <laughs> well, she'd be like, people looking. I'm like, sure, I'll smack your butt. Oh, I do that all the time. Yeah, I'm but, married. I can do what I want now. Yeah, but thanks for coming out, man. I really appreciate you taking your time out because I, uh, I even learned things that I didn't know, like the whole Cincinnati thing. But I always wanted to know or wondered if you talked in any uh, public platform about you. And it's nothing against, like, with the world, how the world perceives you. I said I've known you since, like, 2003. Man. But I know that there's more to you, know, you than what people may think they know. Like, even right. outside of the family, man, and everything you are, I know that there's more to you. But I also wanted to talk to you because, like, that journey to where you came, to the Devin that I met at, like, 15, to the Devin you are today at, but 34? 33. I guess wrong. I, I thought it was Charlie's age. At 33, to see how you came, like, because I was around for a, a good amount, good enough amount of things to see how you became and developed into a young man, from a young man to a man with goals and dreams and like just the person you became, uh, I commend you because again, some of the things that you've done, I, I'll tell you this quick story while I wrap it up. I told Charlie, me and Charlie had this talk, said if we made it to the NFL, we gonna be partying. Mm. And I'm telling you, that's probably all I would've did until I retired. Yeah. But God has a way of, you know, making you meet a person when the time is right and making your life go according to his plan because our plans are our plans. Any last words? learn to let go of it. Let go of the plans that you have yeah. for yourself. Yeah, they never work. That's the biggest struggle. They never work. I actually changed my prayer because my brother to order my steps. I yeah. used to say, like, God, why? For like maybe like a month. Yeah. And then when I changed it to order my steps, everything I ever asked for happened. It yeah. just didn't happen the way I wanted. So when you ask God for wisdom, a bunch of chaos happens. But I'm like, yo, I figured this out, figured yeah. this out. I was wondering how to do this, to figure this out. So he has a way, of, he has a sense of humor. Yeah, I go from why to what now. Like, yeah. I don't ask why no more. It's like, what you want me to do now with the cards that I'm dealt? And he's opened up doors that I never thought that I would have before, so. Last question, we're gonna end on this one. What does it feel like, man? Like going places and people 
So like, like when you pulled up, girl was like, "That's Devin." Man. I'm like, how do you, how do you know? It's that? weird because yeah, when yeah. I see the people, they won't say it to me. Yeah, cause she ain't saying so that to you. That's, that's how I know. <laughs> that's right. that's what keeps me an honest man because I know when I'm out here in the public, people sometimes people will come up to me, but most times they'll wait until I'm not there no more. They'll write me on Twitter or write me on Instagram like, "Oh, I just saw you, but I ain't want to say nothing." So yeah, it's like, weird. you don't know who really knows you, but the people who do walk up to me, they don't talk about football. They talk about life. Which is the craziest thing to me because for so long it was all about, man, that game that you had, that hit that you had, and now it's like, yo, you helped me change my life. Like, you inspired me. Like, the way that you show up for your family, the way that you helped out your daughter, it made me be a better man. So when people come up to me, the conversations are, are deeper than it would have been if they only knew me for football. So it's cool to see the impact that I'm having on people's lives. It's got to be rewarding, man. I don't know if I'm ready for people coming up to talk to me because Charlie will tell you in a minute. I mean, y'all about to have one of the biggest gyms on the East Coast, so you better get used to it. I don't got a problem sitting in my house, man. <laughs> I promise you, I know. But it is rewarding, man. I appreciate you coming. Whenever you're ready, talk to Ashley about getting us on. Next week, I think we got to open the next week on our podcast. So, <laughs> God, don't. <that's> <laughs> but I, I said, I'm a man of my word. I'll do it. I guess I got to convince Ashley to do it. But I appreciate you coming. Yep. Right, it was a good time. Yep, appreciate you having me. Yep.